0: Hello Superfans, did you know we use Podbean to host Superfancast? Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast and you can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today, that's P-O-D-B-E-A-N Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out now. Superfancast. my name is chris and this is season one episode 12 image and heap image and heap everybody lots of good stuff to come in this episode but before we get started uh some interesting stories from the music world this week now i wrote my notes for this episode about two or three days ago and the news i'm about to talk about has changed so much in the last three days things change fast yeah so we lost neil young we lost neil young to spotify um, and at the same time, we doubled the size of Joe Rogan's already pretty mammoth ego. It's just been an absolute disaster, hasn't it? And uh, oh, and Joni Mitchell as well. We lost Joni just yesterday. So you're going to be getting this in another four or five days' time. This could be incredibly old news by the time you hear it. So, for those of you that have been living under a rock, just quickly in a couple of sentences a few weeks ago, Joe Rogan was at the center of some anti vax discussions when an episode of his uh, podcast interviewed. Dr. Robert Malone. It was pu- pushed into the public eye when a group of doctors, I think 270 doctors from around the world, signed an open letter to Spotify, demanding they take down the episode because this Robert Malone was—I uh, don't fully understand. I guess, I guess he was saying stuff that was perhaps encouraging people to not get vaccinated. These doctors were saying it was misinformation. The podcast should be removed. He didn't. They didn't remove it. And so, to make a stand. Neil Young said, "Well, I'm not going to have my, I, I won't have my music on Spotify if you're going to insist on keeping Joe Rogan's um, podcast up." So obviously they chose, chose to stay with Joe. I mean, of course they're going to stay with Joe because Joe makes the money. Neil Young, you know, they've got to pay Neil Young every time someone plays his music. So Joe was always going to win that one. At, at, at the point that the story started, the papers were all saying that. Spotify has no policies against tackling misinformation on their platform, uh, which is apparently reasonably rare for a podcast platform, as far as I could tell from the media. But I think now, three four days down the line, the the narrative has changed a little bit, and Spotify and Joe Rogan as well, got to give him credit. They did release a statement. uh, Joe Rogan released a statement saying that you know he's made some mistakes perhaps, and he'll be more conscious in future, and he tries to give. Both sides of voice, blah blah blah. I thought it was pretty good actually. I don't, I'm not a massive fan of Joe Rogan, but you know he, he swallowed his pride and um, in fact he probably had Spotify waving a massive finger at his face. Um, but anyway, there we go. So Neil Young, Neil Young's gone. People are mixed on on his actions, um, and I keep saying Neil Young's gone, but actually other artists as well, other artists and subscribers. You know, people that just listen to music and have a premium account. I, I know a lot of people have been saying they've cancelled their accounts accounts. I think a lot of it is mm, I think a lot of it is perhaps not as big as the media is making it out to seem you know, four or five people say on Twitter I've cancelled my my premium account and we're we're led to believe that Spotify can't handle the number of cancellations coming in I'm keeping my Spotify membership It, it costs next to nothing and you get every song you ever wanted at your fingertips apart from Joni Mitchell and Neil Young and a few others but anyway, I'm sure you've all heard loads about this story. Uh, you know, as I say, the episode not coming out for another three or four days. So by then, this is going to be uh, ancient history. What else has been happening? Bono doesn't like U2's music. <laughs> Smartest thing Bono's ever said. He says he's embarrassed by most of their music. He likes Vertigo and he likes Miss Sarajevo, which was a song they did with Pavarotti. But that's it. And, and not only does he not like their music, he thinks that the name U2 sucks as well. Brilliant less said about that story, the better. We don't want to give him too much airtime, um, but I thought it was important that we all know where Bono stands on the issue of, of whether you two are a decent band or not. Um, I'll tell you what I've been listening to this last few weeks. I've been listening to... Oh, to start with, I've been listening to Hayley Williams's solo stuff. So if you don't know that she had a solo career, you're, you're not alone. I had no idea that she'd, she'd released any solo stuff. So Hayley Williams from emo pop-punk band Paramore, um, she has released two studio albums as a solo artist. The first one was called Petals for Armor and that's really good. I've been that's the one I've been listening to really. I have listened to her, to her second album but it didn't really click with me as much as Petals for Armor did. It's really interesting. It's a like a it's a hairpin turn from Paramore stuff. She's got a great voice. I mean we knew she had a great voice anyway in Paramore. Um she's got such a broad vocal range but also stylistically the 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 album is The Petals for Armour album is just so different. It's kind of experimental, retro pop, um, and she does it fantastically. She really does it well. Standout tracks on on that album are Pure Love uh, and Taken, both of which could be, both of those tracks, could be Quincy Jones productions. They have really funky, really sexy bass lines. In Pure Love, her voice in the verses is backed really perfectly with just in time, you know. As as she speaks, um, there's soft keys in the background that just cushion her voice, and it's just, yeah, really late '80s depth to her voice. It's really nice. Simmer is also a really masterful tune that was actually released as a single, but I don't think it it did much for her. I really, I don't think many people know about these records. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's millions of people listening, and I'm just behind the times. But yeah, I'd really recommend that album, though. Yeah, I haven't I haven't got into her second. Record yet? Uh, I can't remember the name of it. I did listen to it once, but I think I was just kind of blown away by that pedals for armor, and so it it didn't didn't quite blow me away. I'll give it I'll give it more of a listen though. Uh, I've been listening to this band called Amusement Parks on Fire, and I'd never heard of them before, but they've been around since like the early two thousands, um, and same as same as Haley, I've only been listening to their their first their debut album, which was called Amusement Parks on Fire it's kind of a it's a solo record i think that first album by the the frontman michael ferick it was it was released 2004 and i think it, it's it's only michael ferick on that record i think he put a band together after that so that they could tour but i think it was written and recorded as just him it's pretty raw shoegaze it's a it's a really deep sound there's quieter parts of the album as a whole but but you know tracks like uh, Venus in Cancer is so saturated in guitar, and he's got got the high frequencies just how I like them. And it's reminiscent of that Seth Taylor sound from uh, from My Vitriol. Um, you know, when he just you know the way he just picks a couple of notes that ring out over the wash. He doesn't need you don't need to do these mental you know, face melting guitar solos. Just just a couple of notes, but just the, the the way they ring out is just beautiful. Really nice. Not a massive fan of the vocals, really. Um, maybe the later albums I'll, I'll i'll delve into those I haven't haven't got into those yet yeah we'll see how that goes so check out check out the self-titled album from um, amusement parks on fire just one more one more to recommend I only discovered it today so i haven't um yeah, I can't talk too much about it but another uh, another Shoegaze album by a band called teenage wrist who by the looks of their numbers on spotify they you know they're people are listening to teenage wrist so maybe i'm the only one who hadn't heard of them so i could be sounding really stupid here by saying has anyone heard of teenage wrist but their first is it their first album chrome neon jesus is the name of the album that is just beautiful if you can get past the first four tracks there's a tune called stoned and alone which or stoned alone which i did know before listening to this so i don't know if i've heard that on the radio waves somewhere or I've come across it on a playlist or something but I did know that tune I, I think those first four tracks you can, if you can get past those the fourth one being Stoned Alone then the track after that, Super Machine from there until the end of the record it's just it's stunning it's really stunning again, it's beautiful guitar sound really good soft vocals kind of a little bit soft, soft and whispery and breathy a bit like uh, the chap from Silver Sun Pickups I can't remember his name but yeah kind of kind of reminiscent of that in the vocal sound I, I like the vocals you know I'm norm- normally quite critical uh, on vocals when I'm when I'm listening to shoecase but but here I really like it definitely check out chrony on Jesus by teenage wrist I'll listen to their other stuff as well I haven't I haven't listened to the other albums yet but but this is a, a fantastic album I probably listened to it uh, yeah, four or five times today on repeat really good let's have a, a, a A quick hello from from matt you know this is the last full-length episode that matt's not going to be in uh this is the last full-length episode for um for season one i know we said that two episodes ago but i mean it this time we've got a interlude in two weeks time short interlude for you which will be a little bit of fun and then we're taking a month off and then matt is back and we're starting season two we're going to revamp things a little bit um with some some new music and a new format a little bit uh, yeah, exciting stuff. Let's uh, take a quick listen to, to what Matt's been, uh, been getting in his ears.
1: Hi, folks. Uh, I have not been listening to much music at all lately, sadly, because uh, internet ownership isn't very reliable, and that's just what comes with being in a moving metal box, I'm trying to keep up with satellites 100 miles above. But my cabin mate is from St Lucia, and he listens to a lot of Caribbean music, which I hadn't really heard of much before. So he introduced me to a band called Cassav, which is spelled K-A-S-S-A-V. They're from Guadeloupe and they're pretty prolific. Lots of albums, lots of solo albums from the members and from the concert videos I've seen, they're extremely popular in the French-speaking world. From what i gather anyway their music is a mixture of lots of styles that are heard around the french caribbean islands with some calypso and rock sounds so check them out if you want to hear something very fun and upbeat and if you want to practice your french all right so
0: imogen jennifer heap was born in london on 9th of december 1977 Um, That's maybe the first band bio we've ever done that started with birth. Anyway, uh, by the age of 15, she could play piano, cello, clarinet and was writing, recording and producing her own music. She released her debut album at the age of 20, which, although made little impact commercially, did bring Imogen Heap to the industry's attention. In 2002, Heap released an album with producer Guy Sigsworth under the name Fru Fru. She then returned to her solo work with a further three studio albums, three EPs, and most recently the soundtrack to a Broadway play. Away from the studio, Heap has long been involved in music technology. She has developed the Mimu Gloves, tagged as the most advanced wearable technology for music, as well as creating Mycelia, a decentralised musical database. In 2002, Imogen Heap could be described as an award-winning, genre-shaping pioneer of modern electropop music, and a strong supporter for ever developing the link between technology and music. Well, how do you like that for an intro? She's a tough one to introduce. She's a, she's a real tough one. How did I get into Imogen Heap? Or how did I first hear of her? I inherited a bunch of music on my iPod in about... I reckon it must have been about 2008, something like that. I got fru album and also Speak For Yourself. I might have had iMegaphone megaphone on there as well, but I don't. I don't remember it. I love to speak for yourself. And the absolute standout track for me was Hide and Seek, which I had never heard. And also, I, I realised from doing the research for this episode that that is actually a song that most people know by her, but I didn't know that. And I still, I still didn't know that until two weeks ago, really, when I when I started researching this episode. When I heard that song back in you know, 2008, 2009, I was crazy for it. And I even remember going to a house party. And at a lull, I plugged in my iPod and was and was saying to him, "When you got to hear this," and I, and I played it. It's not a house party song, but it's it's typical of how I have always been with music. I'm desperate for, for music to touch people in the same way that it touches me. Anyway, it didn't touch anyone. <laughs> um, but but then when when Jason Derulo sampled it, I was so pissed off because again, I th- I thought that no one knew that was an Imogen Heap song, and I guess the kind of people that were buying Jason Derulo's track didn't know it was an Imogen Heap song. Uh, but but what annoyed me about Jason Derulo's sampling of it, and this isn't I'm not this isn't a slur on Jason Derulo or anything like I, I've got nothing against him. I just think they completely ruined the flow of the song. The bit that they sampled belongs at the end after the you know the whole build up and the whole story. Yeah, it builds up to this vocal crescendo. It's an it's an amazing composition. It's not just about oh here's a cool chorus bit. Let's sample that. It's the whole composition. And Dorillo took that piece and shoved it at the beginning of the song with no context. It's like you're given the you're given the prize right at the beginning without. It's like running through the finish line without having done the race. You, you don't want that. I don't want that. Anyway, that's that's kind of all I knew about Imogen Heap. I know of her and I know you know some of her music. I was aware of her gloves. I knew that she'd made impact elsewhere in the industry, but I, I didn't really didn't really know how. But yeah, that's that's me. What, what about Matt? Let's hear what Matt knows about Imogen Heap.
1: I've got very little experience with Imogen Heap. Uh, after I finished school, I took a weekly songwriting class in the evenings because everyone knows that that's the best choice for a vocational course after leaving school. <laughs> everyone there were obsessed with three artists: so Tom Waits, Regina Specter, and Imogen and Heap. Those were the topic of pretty much every conversation throughout the whole course. It was like the holy trinity of songwriters. So me being me, because these artists were so popular, I just decided to avoid them like the plague and be different. And this is a mindset I need to get out of, seriously. New Year's resolution. Anyway, recently Chris recommended the Speak For Yourself album, and it's really impressed me. The vocal harmonies and the, the clever compositions make me want to listen to more of her stuff. She's a very clever lady. I also chatted to a bunch of our fans online who call themselves Heapsters, and they seem like a very cool bunch. So yeah, hopefully I'll talk to them again and hope they like the episode.
0: So for new listeners, this is what we're about to do. I have five questions to help us discover a bit more about Imogen Heap. I'm going to be asking those five questions to a self proclaimed superfan, and this week it is Dylan from Tokyo. Now, one thing about Dylan from Tokyo, so I wanted to say in the previous section actually in in the band bio, but but I forgot to mention it, is that there's a lot of Imogen Heap fans out there. She's got a massive fan base uh, and a really active and vocal fan base as well. They call themselves the Heapsters, at least, certainly, some of them call themselves the Heapsters. And uh, I got Contacted by uh, by a handful of hipsters saying, um, "Let's do an episode." Now, the first uh, person we got lined up was um, was a real was a real mega fan, but unfortunately, you know, something happened and, and it, it fell through. Uh, you know, last minute we um, we lost that fan. Um, didn't matter. I had I had an inbox full of other fans that, that wanted to to be on the episode. So, contacted another, um, lined up lined up a call. That one never turned up to the call. Haven't heard from him since. Another one never responded to the to the email reply that I gave him. Luckily, I'd I'd already uh, arranged a call with Dylan, so uh, you know, spoke to Dylan. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure, and you're going to hear that conversation with Dylan a bit later. But yeah, it was a uh, it was a bit of a bit of a disappointing one from the Heapsters guys. Hopefully, I've got the Heapsters all wrong. Uh, maybe I just uh, I just got contacted by a couple of bad seeds, but generally, they all seem awesome online you will seem awesome so hopefully you, you love the episode do do reach out and let us know what you think i'm i'm not claiming to know everything about image and heap by any stretch of the imagination and i'm sure any heapsters listening will um will pick me up on on any mistakes that i make be kind so question one question one before david Kahn and guy sigsworth were involved who originally co-produced i megaphone so to give context for the listener who doesn't know what that means iMegaphone was Imogen's first studio album as a solo artist or first first album at all actually it was produced by David Kahn, Guy Sigsworth and another individual but it was originally co-produced by just Imogen Heap and this other individual that other individual is Dave Stewart from Eurythmics yeah so I mean if you're anybody who's anybody you've got an album produced by Dave Stewart he's a, he's a prolific producer he gets around but it's really interesting that, that Dave was involved because Imogen was young really young and hadn't done a great deal in the music world but she'd made enough ripples to get Dave Stewart uh interested uh, and, and get him to produce the album Oh, well, not only that yeah not only that to get Dave Stewart to produce your your debut album and then decide yeah it's not quite up to the Quite, not quite up to the mark, so get two other producers in to, to try and rework it. Really takes balls as a as a new, unheard of, unreleased artist to question what Dave Stewart's done with your work. But uh, yeah, yeah, you know, worked out. It's a fantastic, fantastic record. I mean, what what happened to to get her to to iMegaphone? So Imogen got signed to Almo Sounds record label in 1995. It was based off some demos that she recorded with. I think she recorded them with Nick Kershaw of Nick Kershaw fame. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure of that, though. So, so Maybe do your own research on that. I mean, I know that she was noticed by Nick Kershaw and involved with him in, in one way or another. I'm not sure if it's that he he worked with her on those demos, but um, he was definitely involved at some point around there. After she got signed, but before... yes, yeah, so after she got signed, but before releasing... Her debut record. She started working with a little, little-known experimental pop group called Acacia. There's a couple of tracks on YouTube from Acacia. They're really good. Kind of, they're they're a bit of a, a hard one to to really do much research on because they've had so many lineup changes and a lot of the songs that even Imogen worked on, there are versions out there without her. So it's um, it's a bit difficult. But there's there's one track on YouTube. Maddening Shroud which you, you know if you're an Imogen Heap fan you might know this tune anyway because she redid it for the Fru Fru album in 2002 but the original was written by um, Alexander Nilere. apologies if I'm pronouncing that that last name wrong but he was the he was kind of, I think he was the, the brains behind Acacia he was certainly the, the more regular vocalist and the song Maddening Shroud with Imogen Heap Features her on the chorus and Alexander in the verses. And it's really good. It's it's a really good tune. Check that out on YouTube for some, some super early Imogen Heap. But her voice is fantastic. I mean, I don't know how old she was then. I guess... I don't know. I guess 18, 19, something like that. But she's got great control over, you know, what is quite a unique voice, the way that she uses it. And she's got great control over it and it sounds fantastic. So she worked for a little bit with Acacia then. She got to finishing her debut solo record and released that in June 1998 on Elmo Sounds. It didn't do that well. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, it's kind of an ongoing theme in, in Imogen Heap's career, really. I think that her um, commercial success or kind of, you know, lack of, essentially, really, lack of commercial success is kind of dumbfounding to me. I don't really I don't really know why that is. There, I, maybe there's various reasons for each individual release, but on this debut album... I think it was it was barely promoted at all by Almo Sounds. They I don't think they were doing a particularly good job Almo Sounds. The reviews weren't fantastic. There were loads of comparisons to Alanis Morissette and Tori Amos and you know I don't know Tori Amos's music that well but yes, it, I think it's fair. I think it's fair comparisons to to have with Alanis Morissette. I I never noticed it before but as I say, I, I think I was only listening to um Speak for yourself. I I don't think I've already heard i megaphone, But now listening back and it, you, you don't even have to know that there are comparisons to Alanis Morissette. I think it's pretty clear to the to the listener. You you could come up come up with that all by yourself. Some tracks on the records, such as Sweet Religion, uh, Angry Angel, they could be Alanis Morissette songs. And and it doesn't help that I mean, I know there's nothing Imogen Heap can do about the way that she looks, but it doesn't help that they look similar as well. Yeah, they, they don't... They certainly, certainly don't look dissimilar. Uh, but, but one thing I did notice, actually, listening to her discography, I did notice that her accent seems to have changed a little. I think in the in her first record, only on the first one, all the others, Imogen Heap has is definitely somebody that embraces and emphasises her British accent. You can hear that on 99% of her releases. But on iMegaphone, I do think she's got, uh, especially on the rockier tunes, I feel that the accent is less defined and perhaps falls into that trap that a lot of british singers do fall into and go for more american leanings in their pronunciation yeah i haven't heard the early demos that she did with potentially nick kershaw but i'd like to hear those i wonder if they're similar to that i megaphone sound because it is different to um to some of her other releases oh me oh my is a song on this record i really love that came out as a single i think the the year after the album was released I don't know how well it did commercially, which which is normally a sign that it didn't do particularly well, but that is a fantastic tune. Only criticism about that song is that it takes two and a half minutes to get to the chorus that that everyone is listening for, <laughs> yeah. the bit that you want to sing along to, the bit that you want to yeah you want to shout out loud, two and a half minutes in. But yeah, it, I mean, that was released as a single. Don't know why it wasn't a major hit. Probably because there was no promotion. It was a rubbish label. And I think maybe it's a retrospective hit for her now. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't, I don't know. Those things are kind of hard to judge. All right, question two, if you're still with me. On Jeff Beck's You Had It Coming, Image and Heap featured on Rolling and Tumbling and which other track? So Jeff Beck's album You Had It Coming, there are two tracks that Image and Heap features on. Rolling and Tumbling. And the other track is "Dirty Mind." So you had it coming was was Jeff Beck's two thousand and one record, his eighth studio album as just Jeff Beck. Now on "Dirty Mind," I mean, it is a, it is a weird weird one because our vocals are not very clear; they're easy to miss. I mean, it even won a Grammy. This track it won a Grammy for Best Rock Instrumental. So I mean that you know the Grammy Awards are even recognizing that this is an instrumental. But um, her vocals are there. She's credited for it. It's a good song. It's a good song. I mean, it's a great record. In 2002, she, she released her debut album, and the through through album was, was coming out that year. So she'd, she'd done pretty well to impress Jeff Beck. Andy Wright, who produced the album, he said, I'd worked on Imogen's first album, and Jeff had met her at a songwriting retreat, and I really liked her. We invited her to sing Rolling and Tumbling, and while she was there, I put on the mic for a, for a blast on Dirty Mind. The resulting samples added just what was needed to complete the picture so yeah it sounds like you know they had they had the track finished they had dirty mind done, but it just needed a little something extra and it's um it, it's a good song but it's not it's not one to remember imogen for rolling and tumbling on the other hand is a great rendition it that, that's a blue standard that tune uh, but jeff beck's guitar tone on this album is, is really dirty it sounds great against against imogen's really airy vocals and this is a really—it's a really different kind of track for her. She really owns the vocal performance on "Rolling and Tumbling," and it's really good. Uh, I really like it. And then she actually—she actually toured with with Jeff Beck in 2004, which is cool. I haven't seen—oh, have I? I have seen some performances. No, I have seen some performances with with Jeff Beck, but I've seen those two tracks. Um, oh no, sorry—I've just seen "Rolling and Tumbling" performed um, by her and Jeff Beck. So I wonder if she was touring with him what else she was singing because she wasn't going on tour just to sing one song live so perhaps she was she was doing other tracks I'd like to see that maybe that's something I'll try and check out so we we talked a little bit before about how she took the industry by storm even when commercially she wasn't destroying it you know she wasn't pulling in massive amounts of album sales but again she excited Jeff Beck she impressed Nick Kershaw uh, Dave Stewart early on then Fru Fru got signed by Island Records and released their debut album uh, and only album to date in 2002 And again, it it fell pretty flat. Yeah, I I think to date, it's sold less than 50,000 copies in the UK. Did marginally better in the US, but didn't chart in either country, I don't think. If you think I'm wrong, do get in touch, because I need to give credit where where credit's due. But I don't think it it charted in in, the UK or the US. Several tracks from the record have been used in other media, though, like movies. Um, So did a few tracks from my megaphone, actually. But but yeah, not, not great sales figures. How Fru Fru came about was Sigsworth. He began working on an album in two thousand and one, and he'd he'd seen that as a solo record, so he'd he'd start putting this together as a solo record. He'd worked with, I mean, he knew Imogen anyway. He, he'd worked with Imogen before, and he brought Imogen Heap in for one song. I don't know which song he brought her in for one song, and then realized that he probably wanted her vocals on all of them, and so they decided to form Fru Fru. Um, yeah, and they and they started completing the album together and that's how that came about for those who haven't haven't heard of frou-frou though that their music is is not significantly different to to anything released by by imogen kind of imogen's second solo album speak for yourself i would say frou-frou's music is not it's not drastically different to that it's electro pop or you know synth pop maybe imogen's second album is is massively more adventurous and risky but i think that the work as frou sets her on the path for that and gives her music more identity i think it's what it, i think that's what was lacking in iMegaPhone. perhaps there wasn't so much of her identity in that in the you know stylistically anyway maybe there was in the um in the, the subject matter um and the lyrics but certainly in the style i feel it wasn't she wasn't taking any risks with that but um yeah that, that's true. i mean check, check through throughout if you if you've heard of image and heat but you haven't heard that that album Okay, hopefully hopefully the Heapsters are two for two. Let's go to question three. So in the 58th annual Grammy Awards, Imogen Heap was included in the win for Album of the Year by which artist? In the 58th annual Grammy Awards, so for those of you that aren't counting the Grammy Awards, that's 2015. So in 2015, Imogen Heap was included in the win for Grammy's Album of the Year by which artist? The artist was Taylor Swift for 1989 so Taylor Swift won Album of the Year for her album 1989 and the award is given to the entire production team um, and Imogen Heap was part of that production team so she is also credited with that win so if you you check her out on Grammy wins you'll see her name down for Album of the Year in the 2015 Grammys so how was she included in that? well Imogen co-wrote and co-produced the final track on the record which is called Clean it's a really nice song yeah it's it's a nice song i th- i think knowing it's an image and heap tune you can hear the heap touch maybe if i didn't know that i yeah I, i'd maybe miss that it's subtle but you know especially in the production that the the etheric bells that kind of plink plonk in the background of the whole tune are really characteristic of her style and even the core actually the chorus feels very image and heapy. not not necessarily the, the words but the way that the syllables are drawn out it's it's reminiscent of a uh, of other stuff by her, those plinky plonk bells. <laughs> that's how I described it. So that's how we're going. Those plinky plonk bells. That isn't actually bells. It's it's a boomwhacker making that noise. Listen to the track. Listen to "Clean" by by Taylor Swift, and you'll know exactly what I mean. But those those bell sounds. It's it's a boomwhacker. I've never heard of a boomwhacker before. They're just a long plastic looking. Maybe it's not plastic. It looks plastic. It's a hollow pole, and you get them of different lengths and different uh, diameters and you whack it on something and it makes a boom <laughs> you got whack it on anything yeah i've seen people whacking it on their knees or whacking it on the floor you can buy them all different lengths and you even get you get boom whacker groups that all play one note so you can have a whole you can have a group of like 20 guys and um, each person has a boom whacker of a different length and so, then they can play a whole song. They'll play like a pop song just using boomwhackers. It's pretty fun. Anyway, th- this song, "Clean," it was written and recorded in one day at Heap Studio in London. Super cool. So Taylor Taylor reached out to Imogen Heap actually and and asked to write something with her. She said she was a fan uh, of her writing and she wanted to write something for her new album. She was going to be in London at some point, so they arranged to spend a day together at Imogen's place and and see what they could do. So Taylor had apparently already written a verse when she turned up and, and Imogen then she so heard that and there and then they went down to the studio created the music built in some backing vocals from imogen and yeah what's really nice is that uh, i read a, all about this on imogenheap.com where she keeps a blog that she writes you know pretty candidly about this kind of stuff so you can you can go back to 2014 and read all about this week of hers or, or the day you know, the day she worked with Taylor Swift and then the, the follow-up days, she talks about the the email trails between them. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. I love that. I love that. Uh, this is the only story that I I've read about in her blog for, for researching this episode, but I'm sure there's so much of her career you could just you know, flick flick back through the blog and find the date of it and, and learn all about it from from her perspective. It's really cool, really cool. Anyway, I think I think the fact that this tune was written and recorded and produced in one day. It's just testament to Imogen's skill as an engineer and producer and how well she knows her way around a studio. I mean, it's her studio, but, but how well she knows her way around the software and, and the equipment uh, and all the tools of her trade. So so it's pretty fitting then that the, the other Grammy that she's credited for, the other Grammy that she has, is uh, in 2010 for Ellipse, her third studio album, she won Best Engineered Album. Yeah. So this award, uh, this is a a quote from from the Grammy website, the award is presented to the audio engineers on the winning work, not to the artist or performer, except if the artist is also the credited engineer, which in this case is Imogen Heap. Uh, She was the artist and the engineer and probably everything else as well. I mean, she just does absolutely everything. Now, I've got to be honest, Ellipse is proving to be quite a slow burn for me. It's it's grander than her first two records and much thicker in its sound. It's it's still an image and heat production through and through. Um, you know, she wrote everything, produced everything, all mixing and engineering credit went to her. But it's clearly an evolution of her sound and evident of, of her having grown up and experienced more. And feels like it has the power of iMegaphone but the electronic production approach of, of Speak for Yourself. And it was it was written during and an after a round-the-world trip and you can definitely hear that that mixing pot of influences there. There's a lot of variety uh, on the album. For example, the third track, Earth, is totally Imogen's voice. She recorded over a hundred tracks of her voice for that, doing all the yeah. She's she's doing like all the instrumental equivalents with her voice, and then she's played with that and and laid it all up. And it's it's almost, I'd say almost unrecognisable as a voice. It's, you could easily, if you weren't paying real close attention, not realise it's it's all someone's voice. But yeah, that, that's that's cool. Um, it's still a really big song, though, um, which is. It's very ellipse. It's impressive to make such a big song with just a voice. Um, it's very characteristic of the album. But that, that track's followed up by a really minimalist, somber tune called Little Bird. And then you've got Tidal, which has flute and backing vocals from Ashwin Srinivasan, which gives it an eastern tinge, but then it builds up onto these sort of poignant peaks and, and comes down again. Again, so that, you know, it's. They are really big tunes. Anyway, there's there's loads of great tunes on that record, but I but I think it you know, it is taking a little while to click with me. I think maybe because it is you know all the tracks on that record are very unique and there isn't one overarching sound, which is you kind of do get that with with Speak for Yourself and to a certain extent with iMegaphone as well. Whereas I think that with with Ellipse, Imogen's really starting to experiment more and with such broad experimentation, you are going to get a bit more of a divide between between tracks. So question four, what product founded by Image and Heap describes itself as a verified digital ID for music makers where they can access, update, and manage information about themselves and their works? Yeah, sorry guys, that's a, that's a mouthful, isn't it, that question? Basically, as a product founded by Image and Heap, And on the website for this product, it is described as a verified digital ID for music makers where they can access, update and manage information about themselves and their work. And the answer is the creative passport. And I've really shot myself in the foot by by shaping a question around the creative passport because I'm really not sure I fully understand it. I'll try to I'll try to talk myself around to understanding it as I explain it to you guys. So in 2015, Imogen founded Mycelia. Now this is where this is where the confusion starts for me. Wikipedia tells us that Mycelia is a blockchain-based platform for releasing music, and created a decentralized musical database for artists to share their music. Okay. In Mycelia's promotional material, I. S- kind of struggle to find anything to corroborate the information from wikipedia but yeah i mean a lot of niche tech companies are often vague in their in their offering i find yeah, the amount of times i used to work for a, for a tech company and um i mean i work for a tech company now but but i used to work for a different tech company and i remember you know downstairs and over the road but to their offices there was a there was a company that i can't I can't remember what what it said they did but basically they it was a small office with about 10 people in it and they had this it was very <laughs> it was very modern i suppose it's the, it's the nicest word to use uh they had this text written on the window kind of saying something profound and we always used to joke like no how does that advertise your business in any way because i haven't got a clue what it is that you do and so one day we googled them we found their website and Looked on their website, and we 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 rolled through pages on their website, and still could not figure out what it is that they did. They were just so airy fairy and vague about what it is that they offer, and it sounded like you don't have a product here. You're t- like, anyway, that's a that's a side note. That's a little bit how I feel about the website for Mycelia and the Creative Passport. So their website suggests Mycelia if, is more of a think tank, and the Creative Passport is a product of that think tank. So the website says it's a research and development hub for music makers so mycelia is a research and development hub for music makers so then the creative passport i guess is a a way of managing information within mycelia potentially if i've I mean, if i've totally screwed this up and you're you're a massive uh, image and heat fan listening do get in touch and i'll correct it in the next episode because um I mean, I've said that a lot already in this episode, aren't we? we're, what, half an hour in? <laughs> Christ. So the other big thing Imogen has done outside of making music, although this is kind of linked to making music, and that's the development of the Mimu gloves. So if you haven't heard of the Mimu gloves, and I definitely recommend Googling them and finding a video of someone demoing them, or just using them, I should say. They're really... Well, I mean, the, the early prototypes were very Arthur C. Clarke looking piece of kit, which is a big compliment, I would say. <laughs> they, yeah, just the uh, the early prototypes. They, they were gloves, I mean gloves, we all know what gloves look like. They're gloves with these wires and lights all over them. And then those wires go up Imogen's arms, feeding into battery packs on her shoulder blades. Uh, the, the current models available uh, are just black gloves with a few lights and the battery packs and govins are all on the wrists so it's a lot less of an eyesore now and looks a bit more natural um, and easy to use um, but the development began on there in 2008 ish i think um, they were first showcased to the world in 2011 at a ted conference and in 2019 they became available to the public and their first shelf price was two and a half thousand us dollars now, I don't know how much that has come down now. I couldn't find any online. There's a big chip shortage, in case you haven't heard. So a lot of tech products can't be produced at the minute. Uh, so, yeah, I can't confirm how much they are. But, uh, yeah, I don't know how much they've come down in, in three years, two years. Possibly still around the $2,000 mark. Uh, but they are pretty amazing. They're, I mean, yeah, they're really amazing. They're awesome. So if you're if you're screaming at your computer now saying, what the hell are they? I'll... I'll um, yeah i can't help you no i'm joking i, I I'll, I'll try i'll try this time so they're, they're marketed to the world as what does it say the, the most advanced wearable musical instrument okay and essentially it brings everything from your your music production software out of the computer and onto your person to be you know accessed through different uh hands gestures and mannerisms so you program the gloves to recognize for example uh you know, a left hand with one finger pointing, moving from left to right, so that action there means I'm going to increase the reverb on the selected track. But then the same action with a thumb pointing instead of a finger pointing uh, could instead mean uh, to move, change the volume on the selected track. So you program these, these actions. I think you can have up to nine different arrangements of fingers, fingers and thumbs, and then you've also got arms moving up and down, left and right, and whatever you call the other thing the other pivot so yeah so that that's how it works i haven't seen many people use the gloves to a great deal of success other than imogen herself there are a few people on the youtubes displaying their skills but not many and also those that i have seen uh, are pretty bland i guess i guess imogen's been using them for a decade you know yeah that and the associated software and she's become you know pretty bloody good at it so yeah, check check out anything by her using the using the gloves. There's there's plenty of videos of her using those gloves. She's a master at it, and she she's even just really impressive just recreating tracks from from her solo records that weren't created using the Mimu gloves. Yeah, even even those first two records prior to the gloves conception, when she recreates those now with the gloves, it's so impressive. It's it's really mesmerizing to watch. So Heapsters, how are you doing so far? If you're on four out of four, then I failed and you are winning. So hopefully I can get you on question five. Question five is, what is the album ellipse named after? What is the album ellipse named after? It's named after her elliptical shaped childhood home. Uh, her home in Essex I'm not sure where I think somewhere around Saffron Walden not that you know, 90% of our listeners are in the US so I don't think anyone cares Essex is to the right of London <laughs> for our overseas listeners yeah so it was named it was named Ellipse because her that her childhood home uh, is elliptical shaped and she actually recorded a lot of Ellipse in that home as well uh, other album names I'm not sure I'm not sure. So fans, do let me know. I megaphone. That is a, an anagram of Imogen Heap. It also in part inspired the name of her her label Megaphonic, which is obviously also an anagram of Imogen Heap, just with a C on the end. Uh, speak for yourself. Not sure what you know if it's got a meaning or if it's. I mean, if I was to guess, I would say this album was was totally written and produced and funded by her. So it could be just her way of saying there is no influence here other than me this is me speaking for myself so kind of makes sense and sparks i'm not sure about the name but sparks is a really interesting release though it's it's worth talking a little bit about sparks this was question five and we can't end the episode without talking about it because okay i mean it's it's her fourth studio record came out 2014 took her three years to write and she was traveling a lot so a lot in china and india and, and elsewhere around the world so it was written in various countries and she's included musicians she met along the way in there, uh, chance encounters, bits sourced from fans. She involved fans uh, not just in the music, in the videos and the music, so uh, sound bites to source musicians for at least two of the music videos that came out from the album. One video, Tele Miscommunications, is made up of a series of animations all submitted by fans. And then another video, Lifeline, was directed by a fan who reached out to her my favorite fan submission though is the album cover which when i first saw it cd sized or smaller it just looks like a a circular shape and you can kind of tell that if you look close enough the circle is made up of lots of small little footprints but you don't really think too much about it but those footprints are uh, the feet of her fans (laughs) so how did she get fan feet well there was a deluxe edition to the album Imogen and Heap is exactly the kind of artist I would expect to release a deluxe edition of one of our albums. <laughs> Check out this from, from this is from an enemy article uh, September 2013. The standard edition contains 14 brand new tracks, while the deluxe box adds a host of bonus materials including music videos, 120 page coffee table book, and special deck of playing cards which will unlock ex- exclusive web content. The singer is asking fans who pre-order the deluxe box to send in pictures of their footprints, which will then be used to help create the cover. So there you go. That's how she got uh, feet. People that pre-ordered the deluxe box, which we'll talk about (laughs) Uh, in its validity, uh, were asked to send in pictures of their feet. And then she compiled all those feet and, and made a piece of art out of it. So, I mean, the fans are just all over this record. The, the deluxe box. I mean, it's straight out of Bjork's mind, isn't it? 120-page coffee table book, special deck of playing cards which unlock exclusive web content. Ugh. Why? Mental. Yeah. I mean, the fans. Have, this this record is it's it's so interesting to to have so much input from your fan base and from other people. There was an article in July 2014 in Time magazine. It's a it's a really long article, but it it, it starts with the opening line to the article was Imogen Heap can't make music without her fans, literally. (laughs) I think she can. I think she's proved she can make music without her fans, but the article goes on to talk about the cover art that we've just mentioned, but also about the listening chair, which is a track on the album. And by my understanding was, was created through a discussion with fans around the world to understand what topics are Either important to them or symbolic of where they are in life, and then that's how she came up with the concept of it. And the listening chair, um, again, (laughs) this is another one of those things that I'm probably going to explain wrong. There's a lot of that in this episode, but the listening chair. She's talked about how this track is never going to end, so it's the whole point of it is is the whole of the track is summarising the first first 35 years of her life in six minutes or so, or however long it is, five minutes. And she said every seven years she's gonna add another minute to the track until she dies. So yeah, it's it's always gonna be evolving, this song. So when did this come out? This came out in July twenty fourteen. So I wonder if we check it out now. Actually I didn't even think of that. Yeah. We should we should check it out now. Uh, maybe there's another I mean that's seven years later, isn't it? So we should have another one minute on uh, on the listening chair. Hmm, someone take a look into that. I'll take a look into it. I'll take. I'll take that as an action. I'll take a look into that. So yeah, I think. I think time were a little bit harsh. So she can't make music without her fans. But but it is really endless. The the link between Imogen and her fans, especially on that record, we could go on forever talking about about that link. It's an interesting album, Sparks. It, it again, it's it's kind of for me, it's it's everything that I'm I'm struggling to connect with on Ellipse times, three or four. Like it's 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 even more so on on this record because. It is so unique. And also the, the version that I've been streaming, and I don't know if this is the the deluxe version, but each track has got uh, an introduction to it, which is Imogen talking about how that track was was conceived and how it was recorded, written and recorded, uh, produced and, and the inspiration for it and, and all of this, which is really interesting. It's really great. But if you just want to listen to an album, it's very difficult to listen to that album. The way that I listen to music anyway, It's it takes you out, you know, every track, you then lose the flow because then you've got to listen to a, a, a three minute talk before the next track. So it's, it's, of all her releases, that's the one that I've listened to the least because it's very difficult to just listen to the music. Uh, if, I, if I bought the original release, I guess, that, that just had the tracks on it, the, the music on it, maybe it'd be different. But I still I still think it's going to have that same effect on me that Ellipse has in that there is a lot more individuality in the in the tracks than you have on iMegaphone and Speak for Yourself and, and Fru-Fru's details. Yeah. So those are my questions. Heapsters, hope you did well. Let's meet Dylan. Now, Dylan is in Tokyo. And so I think that means we get to tick off Asia as a continent. Although, yeah, he's, he's a bit of a fake because he's actually American. So... I don't know if we get I don't know if we get the point. I'll let Matt decide. I'll let Matt decide when he's back. But either way, let's let's hear how Dylan did at those five questions. Let's start with, with hearing how Dylan first discovered Imogen Heap
2: Yeah, I actually remember the exact moment I heard her song from when she was in the band Fru Fru mm-hmm. on a commercial for the movie Garden State. And I thought well, who is this? I, I've never heard anything like this before. And then it took maybe about a year for me to track down a CD, and then the rest was history.
0: So really pre-Googling days.
2: Yeah, but I do remember a few years later finding, once YouTube started, finding a couple of videos that people would put up and just playing them on repeat over and over when I do homework.
0: And then how has, your, how has your fandom progressed since then? Um.
2: Well, like I said, I'm a bit evangelical with her. I try to convert people into imaging heat fans any chance I get. So anytime I have the auxiliary cable in a car or someone says still and put something on because I'm a bit bored, <laughs> I immediately go for something and uh, it's been hit and miss. I've converted a few people.
0: Everyone counts, is not it?
2: Oh, yes, of course.
0: And have you seen her live much?
2: No. <clears throat> That's an embarrassing story the one time she came to my hometown i found out the night of after the show and uh i met someone in a parking lot various reasons i was in <laughs> high school and they said yeah i just went to the show for uh, omegon heap i said you mean Imogen? He said she said yeah it was, it was okay then i punched her car door i was so enraged <laughs> I couldn't oh, wow. believe I'd missed it. And I can't believe she, what a waste. Oh, that's my fantastic. emotional intelligence has gotten a little better since then. That's but I'm to... still pretty, I'm still pretty miffed.
0: What's been the highlight of your fandom then? Is it, uh, is it memorabilia or you know, do you have any stories that, have, um, that stand out?
2: Mm, she's always been my soundtrack for everything. Mm. But I think that the biggest highlight was that she had an emailing list at one point. And I had emailed into it, similar to how I emailed into getting this podcast, mm-hmm. and she responded back. And I thought, oh my God, this is her. I said, is this, is this, is this you? And I thought it'd be a robot. She said, no, it's me. It's Emmy. I was like, oh, well oh, done. Wow. So that was cool.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, I've got, uh, I've got five questions for you, Dylan, to understand. Oh dear God. Uh, <laughs> to understand if you're a super fan or uh, just a regular fan, or you could even be a fraud. (laughs) Hmm. Question one. Before David Kahn and Guy Sigsworth were involved in iMegaphone, who was it originally co-produced by?
2: Mm. I don't know.
0: Straight up? Straight up. The original producer for iMegaphone was Dave Stewart from Eurythmics.
2: Oh, I should have known that. I love Eurythmics.
0: So there you go. Well, you learned something new at least. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> What are your thoughts on iMegaphone?
2: I think I I heard it after I heard uh, the Fru, Fru album And yeah. so I wasn't huge on it But then I came back around on it I think I was maybe 20 when I got back to it and thought Oh I really actually like this mm. It just didn't, it, it hit the ear wrong when I was a teenager I guess But
0: I find it quite different to Fru Fru and to Speak for Yourself
2: Yeah, yeah definitely
0: and sadly uh, i know every every reviewer at the time made this comparison it has unfortunately got a bit of an alanis morissette feel to it <laughs> and i think that didn't help
2: um, yeah well that would make sense because when i decided i liked iMegaphone, megaphone i was also really into re-listening to alanis morissette so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it works
0: all right well i'm sorry about that for a first question hopefully hopefully we can pull it back with the rest <laughs> <laughs> question two on Jeff Beck's, you had it coming. Imogen Heap features on "Rolling and Tumbling," and which other track?
2: Oh my God, I don't know this either.
0: I don't know the album. Uh, I just, I just have to give it to you then. So the answer is "Dirty Mind," and in, and to Dirty be fair, mind. it's not one that you can guess either because you can't hear her on the track. It's uh, ah. Oh no, it's not good, is it? Then <laughs> it's,
2: it's not looking good. I, I'm looking like a fraud. It seems. No, no, we but don't, that's we kind of exciting because you've said no one's outright <laughs> failed it. So you'll, if I could be the first one to
0: do that, you'll be remembered. Mm-hmm. You'll make a name for yourself. <laughs>
2: Infamy is a legacy. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, on on the track on the the subject of collaborations though, other than Jeff Beck, are there any other collaborations out there that that you remember? I don't know any other than her and Jeff Beck, to be honest.
2: Yeah, she did one with Dead Mouse. Mm, they so. did a song. Um... Oh, Nick Ryan. She did Propeller Seeds. Uh, Where were those them. questions? Yeah, I know, right?
0: <laughs> well, maybe it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly do a reshuffle of questions. No. Okay, question three. All right. Oh, God, I'm nervous now. I'm nervous for you. I'm nervous for me. In the 2015 Grammy Awards, hmm. Imogen Heap was included in the win for Album of the Year, but mm-hmm. who was Album of the Year by?
2: Hmm. I remember this because I remember that she was wearing... There's some incredible thing as well. 'Cause I my mom called me and she's like she won, she won. I think it
0: was Taylor Swift. You got it. Oh thank God. Taylor Swift, nineteen eighty nine. Yeah. Okay, good. I'm glad we I'm <sighs> glad we pulled that back. So you're gonna you're gonna leave here with at least one out of five. Thank god. <laughs> you <made a> <laughs> so question four. Mm. What product founded by Imogen Heap describes itself as and this is taken from the website, this description. A verified digital ID for music makers where they can access, update, and manage information about themselves.
2: Uh, I'd say it's the Mimo gloves. It's not. Is it the software for the Mimo gloves? No. The,
0: the answer Filth. is the Creative Passport. Hmm. I, I mean, don't ask me. It's...
2: <laughs> I remember hearing about that, but I thought I, um, I thought that was in relation to those gloves, but...
0: I'm, I, I'll be honest, Dylan. I struggle to understand what the Creative Passport actually is. It's in relation to Mycelia, which is her her blockchain-based platform for releasing music. Mm. Uh, but fair answer from you because uh, the Nibiru gloves definitely make more of an impact than the Creative Passport do.
2: Yeah, so right in principle, but technically wrong. I liked uh. your
0: approach. I liked your workings, but you didn't get to the <laughs> you didn't get to the right end result. Mm. Unfortunately, we don't do half points. So no. <laughs> Okay, question five. You gotta, you gotta do this, Dylan. You gotta do this. For... Who are we talking about today? <laughs> question five is: What is the ellipse album named after? Oh, her house. It is indeed her house.
2: You know what? I realized that it is because she said that it was inspired by the roundhouse. She always calls it the roundhouse, her childhood oh, home. right.
0: Yeah, it is. It's her childhood home. Yeah. No, I hadn't heard her say that. All right. Well, yeah, you got that.
2: Oh, thank God. <laughs> Two.
0: That's not bad. That's not bad. I don't know if we've had another two out of five before, but we've certainly had threes. There's been plenty of threes out there.
2: Incredible questions. Incredible.
0: Awesome. Well, uh, I think two out of five is very respectable. Thank you. And and there's different types of super fans out there. Let's be honest. It really depends on um, you know what type of fan you are.
2: Yeah, generally, I think most of most of my my knowledge would be on certain well certain aspects of their music, I suppose. Mm. But I don't know. I, they were really good questions. Good. I, I learned some new stuff, and I'm going to look up some new stuff. So thank you.
0: Awesome. And for anyone who's listening who isn't uh, a a big fan of Imogen Heap or doesn't listen that much, what would you what would you say in summary to to get people into her?
2: She just lives and breathes music. I, I can't think of anyone else that embodies being a musician anymore. She can do anything with her voice on a piano. With a sink dripping, it's just nuts. It's like music is just an extension of her. And if you listen to her and you're not super one over, I'd recommend watching her perform. Because it's just, I want to say bizarre, but I don't think bizarre is a selling point. But, it's enchantingly bizarre.
0: Oh, Dylan, I feel bad. I want to make... I want to make tough questions but but then when when it, they actually have the effect that i'm going for <laughs> someone only gets gets one or two points has anyone ever had one no one's ever had one point but when someone only gets two points um yeah dylan sounded disappointed in himself but if you ever feel bad dylan or if any of you ever feel bad for not doing so well just go back and listen to that my vitriol episode and just remember that uh, i'm a fraud <laughs> no i wasn't a fraud but i got what did i get i must have got two as well two or three something like that anyway i really enjoyed that episode um thanks dylan for being involved and thank you everyone for for listening it brought imogen Heap to the front of my mind again so that's brilliant because it means i'm gonna be listening to her for the time being and i always like that in an episode when it reminds me of an artist who i haven't haven't thought of in a while and i can listen to their stuff again thanks to everyone who who joined in the last couple of weeks we gained a whole host of actual subscribers to the show which is awesome We've been we've been coasting along for so long, with you know, less than a handful of subscribers. Um, you know we do we get enough listeners. You know who you are, but people weren't subscribed, and we now have, we have now have a whole bunch of subscribers. That's really cool. Thank you so much. If you're not subscribed, please do subscribe so that you get the you get notifications of, of a new episode in your feed right when it comes out. And and on that note, also uh, please leave us a review. We're all over the place on Apple. I know Spotify is not uh, not in everyone's good books at the minute, but uh, we're everywhere else. You know, obviously Podbean, also Apple Podcasts, Google and Stitcher and all of those places. Leave us a review somewhere. And if if you want to get personal, you can get in touch with us. Send us an email to superfancast at outlook.com. And that is also where you want to send us your recommendations. We don't have much of a plan yet for season two. So if there is an artist that you are mental about and you need to let us know, then please drop us an email to superfancast at outlook.com and we'll get you on the schedule. You can also follow us and contact us on Twitter at superfancast1, very active on Twitter. We're on Facebook at Superfancast. Don't forget to check out the blog for new music reviews at uh, superfancast.blogspot.com. And if you want to throw a couple of coins our way, please go to patreon.com slash superfancast. Thank you so much, really, for, for joining us again. As I say, you've got an interlude coming in two weeks' time, and then we're going to take a little break, and then Matt will be back. So we'll get the red carpet out, we'll we'll pop a cork. Uh, We look forward to you joining us for that big welcome home. See you in a couple of weeks. Stay safe. Keep rocking. Uh, We'll see you next time. Thank you. Bye bye.